This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. On Sports Hub Triad. VCU basketball. Michigan and Notre Dame hockey and Rice Volleyball. That's the company NC State Baseball shared after being sent home from an NCAA-sanctioned tournament at 2 o'clock in the morning Saturday. However, it seems like because of the sport and when it happened and where it happened, State's exit, it's received more attention than the rest of those deals combined. For reasons I'm still trying to work through today, full disclosure here, I'm still bothered by this. It's been a couple of days. I'm bothered by it, and here's why I think that is. As is often the case with the NCAA, my issue is with the messaging, not with the actual message, because I don't think the NCAA had any other choice but to send the Wolfpack home. They followed the protocols. Every team understood what the rules were. If you had players that were unvaccinated and they tested positive, then the entire team would get tested. And NC State had four of those positive tests come from vaccinated players that otherwise would not have been tested if the rest of the team were vaxxed. Everybody understood what the deal was, it seemed. Postponing, that didn't seem very fair to Vanderbilt. It would put them in a tough spot if they were to win on Saturday afternoon and advance to the championship series. So this is exactly what had to happen. And don't just take it from me. Boo Corrigan was on Packer and Durham this morning, and he agreed that nothing else could be done. There really isn't anything we can do at that point. We made, again, we made the decision... Uh, as a collective, that the medical advisors were going to be the ones to drive these decisions. Um, We asked about additional testing. We asked if there was anything else that we could do. Uh, At that point, when you're talking about a travel wrestler, 27 uh, players with contact tracing with everything else in in, um, the numbers that we had that were positive, there, there were no other options for us at that point. Robert Walsh is the producer of this show, intern Cole in the house. Robert, open up the phone lines to any NC State fan that might want in on the show right now. 336-777-1600. We'll get to as many Pack fans as we can if they're wanting to talk today. But the message wasn't my issue here. The decision I had no problem with. The messaging, though, absolutely abysmal. The accountability, the clarity, the leadership... All the things we've criticized Mark Emmer in the NCAA for time and time again on perfect display for us, 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I was up for it. I was lying on the couch. I look at my phone. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe this is the way they were going about doing it. Robert, I'm trying to think of a good analogy for what the NCAA did here The best one I could come up with, the NCAA broke up with NC State over the phone. Broke up with them via voicemail. That's what they did. 
their significant other, their partner, didn't pick up the phone. So they decided to leave a, hey, it's not you. It's me. We've got these protocols. I'm sorry, but we can't be together anymore. I know it's 2.10 in the morning, but you need to come over here and get your stuff and leave now. Can you do that? Sorry, bye. That's what the NCAA did. Announcing it at 2 a.m., absolutely unforgivable. It was cruel. It was cowardly. State fans should never forgive the NCAA for that. Very little clarity involved with that statement. It just said, NC State has to go home. Why? Reasons. The health folks say they have to go home. Why? Reasons. Okay, well, (laughs) I'd like to know what those reasons are. And if you don't tell us what the reasons are, then you're going to lead, you're going to get all the PAC conspiracy theorists on PAC Pride fired up, and it's going to be a massive story, like it was on Saturday. Ah, Then the social media post from the College World Series account, adding fuel to the fire. Minutes after they kicked NC State out, they sent a tweet with the Vanderbilt graphic, Robert. I don't know if you saw this, saying... Survive in advance, Vanderbilt, to the National Championship Series. Maybe hold that tweet. Maybe don't press send on that just yet. Every team, when they get kicked out, congratulations on a great season. NC State didn't get that until Texas got eliminated later that night. Then somebody realized, oh, shoot, we didn't send one out for State. We need to do that. Thanks for the memories, NC State. Oh, the messaging. Brutal. The decision, I can understand it, even if the news isn't great. Kind of like the breakup. But the messaging is so important. Fans, in order to make sense of things, often need scapegoats. We need scapegoats in sports. But I don't know if anybody is to blame for what happened here. It's easy to say the unvaccinated players, but half of the players that tested positive were vaccinated. So I don't know if blaming the players is the right thing to do. I'm not blaming the NCAA for sending the pack home. I'll blame them for bad messaging. It's just an unfortunate deal for everybody around. And I feel so, so sorry for those kids and for pack fans who perennially just get punched in the nads time and time again. 336-777-1600. Let's go to Tim and Clemens, who wants in on the pack. Tim, how are you faring today? Well, I'm very disappointed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> At least I will say this. I may be one of the only people that benefited from the fact that it was announced at 2 a.m. on Saturday morning because I still had a chance to cancel a flight. I still had a chance to cancel a hotel room. In Omaha, so that I may be the only one that uh, benefited from it. But other when did than you learn that, the news? Were you up at two a.m.? No, I learned it uh, about nine a.m. <laughs> <laughs> so you were thinking about getting on a flight to Omaha and going on out Sunday, to see the yes, pack. Sir. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and so they, you know, maybe they, they helped me a little, but uh, very disappointed. Uh, 
just enjoyed watching this team play and the especially just uh you know they couldn't be held down they continued to fight and uh i have two i have two questions all right fire away there was there was a social media rumor that the head coach of vanderbilt uh tim corbin was involved in some of this uh some of this uh, testing that he demanded. Let me let me address that, that one first. Kendall Rogers has done tremendous reporting at D1 Baseball, one of the best college reporters there is. He completely uh, denied it. I'm not talking about Corbin. I'm talking about Rogers. He reported this entire story, spoke to everybody on both sides, NCAA, Vanderbilt, NC State on all sides, and says that that's unsubstantiated. He, based on his reporting, which is very good, a lot of the stuff that Boo Corrigan said today fall, fell in line with Aaron Fitt and Kendall Rogers reporting. That one unsubstantiated, but I heard that quite a bit as well. What's your second question, Tim? The second question, uh, it seems that protocol, again, this is social media banter, sure. was violated uh, on, on, Friday, on Friday evening after uh, the game against Vanderbilt with 13 players. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems that according to a lot of sources, which are <laughs> maybe very weak, uh, that, that again, it was demanded that uh, the vaccinated players be tested after... The vaccinated 16, players were tested. The, the 16... Again, there were... Again, this is rumors on, on social media. And also postings by players okay. that sixteen that sixteen non-vaccinated players were tested, and they tested negative. Yes, on Friday. Boo Corrigan this morning said that uh, this morning that uh, for all the the protocols say that all the players vaccinated or not, once an unvaccinated player tests positive, have to undergo test, and four of them turned up positive. And with contact tracing, the four unvaccinated positives, the four vaccinated positives, they could not go on any longer. That's according to State's AD this morning on Packer and Durham. I, I saw his, I saw his uh, very weak uh, interview with – I lost a lot of respect for uh, Mark Packer this morning, but, but I do realize where his paycheck comes from. Well, what, what were you disappointed? What would you have liked to heard from from uh, I would Boo like Corrigan? It, not not only me, but a lot of other supporters of NC State and alumni, and it, we would have liked to have seen him seem to have a little bit of fight in him. And his uh, two statements that he put out, uh, you know, earlier were very weak. Yeah, uh, and, and I thought today's. Uh, Today's interview with Mark Packer was very weak. And, again, I understand all the dynamics of who, you know, the tough questions aren't going to be asked asked because, you know, you don't want to get, you know, in, you don't want to end up in the office. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, I understand. I, I understand exactly what you're saying, Tim, and I'm up against it. I appreciate the phone call. But I, the first statement from both Jim Phillips from the ACC office of Boo Corrigan Gave us absolutely nothing. I'll agree with you on that. Then Boo Corrigan put out a statement yesterday that I thought provided a lot of the details that we needed to know to put away rumors that 
state fans, and you brought up a few of them, have had that are allowed to percolate because the NCAA had not given us all the information that we needed. But in terms of wanting to see fight earlier today, the fight's over. <laughs> like, Book Oregon's bummed out as state fans are. And I think that's what I got from him, that this man exhausted all the options he possibly could over the weekend. But today, this morning's not the time to be showing fight because the fight's already finished. And unfortunately, it's not with NC State in the national semifinal but uh, or national championship series. But I do appreciate the call. I thought that was uh, a lot of fair questions being asked. And a lot of state fans had similar concerns, so I appreciate it. Luke the Cock, Raleigh News and Observer, will join us in 15 minutes, award-winning columnist. Coming up, a version of Tom Brady. I don't think we've ever seen before, at least not in public. We're so glad you're here on a Monday drive. You talk like a crazy person. You have sexually transmitted crazy mouth. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. So about a week ago, a little bit less than a week ago, we had our conference finals matchups. I said I liked Phoenix in five. I liked Milwaukee in five. A lot of that was crossing your fingers about Chris Paul being available, and Chris has played the last two games, and even though he hasn't shot it well, Managing the game, assist the turnover ratio. He still does a lot of things that help the Suns, even when the shots aren't falling. They're in position to win tonight in five games. Milwaukee, meanwhile, last night, after dropping game one, won its second in a row. Trey Young a bit banged up. The release today says that he's questionable to play in game four. Obviously, if he doesn't play, great advantage to Milwaukee. But even if he was playing, they ask him to be Superman, and if he's not, it's Milwaukee going away. Don't forget, in game one, he shot something like 17 for 34. I think he was 50% on 34 shots. So they need to be next to perfect to beat Milwaukee, and that's unrealistic. I, I think both these series are going to end, and I don't think they're going to get to a sixth game, but Brian Geisinger knows hoop about as well as anybody we know. Do you see a chance for any of these teams to rally? Atlanta against Milwaukee or the Clippers, who we're expecting are going to be without Kawhi again tonight, trying to stave off elimination in Phoenix? Yeah, I mean, I think so, uh, depending on a couple of things, right? You have to couch it with that. Uh, you know, assuming everyone can either get healthy or stay you know, stay healthy, right? Like you obviously Atlanta needs Trey young. I mean, the entire offense is predicated around him and around what he does in the pick and roll. We talked about that last week and they're also banged up. Like Bogdanovich is not the same player. Deandre Hunter's not playing. Um, Cam Reddish is technically back and available to play, but this has basically been a lost season for him. So like they're already working with a pretty reduced roster, which is really, increasing Trey's workload then he has the really unfortunate injury last night where he steps on a, a ref's foot now he may have a you know an, an injury to his his to his own foot which is scary to think about and like so yeah if Trey comes back healthy this game four is still at Atlanta right I mean like yeah. if Trey's some percentage of you know if he's if it's a grade two or lower sprain 
you know, Trey's some version of himself and Atlanta's still dangerous. And then out West, the margins are just tight, man. I mean, think how close games two and three were. Um, or yeah, part, yeah, games two and, and four, pardon me, were in that series. You know, it's a, where DeAndre Eaton tip dunk at the buzzer. And then game four was was ugly as hell, but that game was also competitive and close too. So I think, yeah, either of these teams could get back in it, even though right now 3-1 and 2-1 feel sort of insurmountable. And obviously Milwaukee and, and Phoenix are, are favored to yeah. carry on through the finals. If Chris Paul were to get to his first NBA finals tonight, what is the reaction? How big of a deal is it for his legacy, removing his name from the likes of great players who had never gotten to that stage? Steve Nash, for example, comes to mind. Uh, and there are a handful of others you can add to that list. How big of a deal do you believe that to be? It's it's weird because on, on one hand, you know, it shouldn't be a big deal. Like Chris's career should stand alone in terms of its uniqueness, in terms of its greatness. Like he, he is a one-of-a-kind player. Regardless of whether they make the finals or not this year, Chris is still the best. I think he's the fourth best point guard in the history of basketball behind Magic, Steph Curry, and Oscar Robertson. I think Chris Paul is number four. And you don't and consider Steph Curry as a pure example of this? Say that, what, say that again? Do you consider Steph Curry to be in that discussion, or is he more a shooting guard playing point guard in your mind? Yeah, it's tough because you can, you can, you can box it either way. Right. But if you're, let's just say for the sake of this, you do consider him that Steph is somewhere in the top three with magic and, and Oscar. And then Chris is four. Um, it, but the margins are tight. And so what I, the point I was trying to make is it shouldn't matter. Ultimately, Chris is like sustained greatness has been so unbelievably good for almost two full decades in the NBA that it shouldn't matter, you know, the playoff success that's so random. It's so dependent on teammates, but ultimately it does, right? Like we do remember these things. The players remember them, the fans, the media, we talk about it. It's what goes into the legacy. And if you win a championship, that's the first or second line of your legacy of your, of your hall of fame plaque or, or, you know, or whatever. So this does matter. It would provide, um, it would be an amazing, not, not necessarily the, the coda to his career, but it's the one thing missing. Uh, he's got basically everything else. He's done everything else. He's climbed all the mountains, and he continues to be a top 25 player in the world. Um, a title would be uh, the cherry on top, though, and, and really it would, be, um, it would be a sight to be seen. For someone that wants it badly for him, uh, I, I, I'm really hopeful they're able to not only pull through the finals, but, but also uh, you know, get, get a title, too. Brian Geisiger is on Twitter at BGeis underscore Bird. Kind enough to join us here as he does each week. We'll try to out-precise the Geis in a bit. We've got ACC Big Ten Challenge matchups that dropped today. Luke DeCock, he was on with us a few hours ago, and we would have all loved to see Duke go to Maryland. We knew that wasn't going to happen, though, because reasons. Then you consider <laughs> the possibilities for next year. And me and Luke are aligned in thinking that there's more than a 50% shot that Duke is going to go to College Park next year. They're going to do it after Coach K is gone and retired. So John Shire, he, he will likely have to deal with that. But when you look at this slate of games, what is your which one stands out the most to you? 
I think there's a bunch that stand out. I mean, Duke, Ohio State is still an awesome game. Yeah. Um, Ohio State right now is projected to be a top four, top five team in the country next season. Now, that is contingent a little bit upon Dwayne Washington Jr. like coming back to Columbus. Uh, Washington Jr.'s in the draft process right now and has done very well uh, at both the G League event and at the Combine. So there's a good chance Dwayne Washington Jr. stays in that in the draft, in which case, you know, Ohio State's not as good next season, but it's still very, very good. You just mentioned Maryland. Man, I think Maryland and Virginia Tech is going to be an awesome game. We got news last week, got word last week that Kevin Aluma is going to come back to Virginia Tech. The Hokies are stacked, man. Yeah, it's just, Seri- I'll tell you serious. what my big issue with it, though, is Virginia Tech, I still consider them a newer member in the ACC. And when I look at the teams that Maryland has faced in this competition, like you go through the teams that they've gone up against since joining the Big Ten Conference, you have more newer members than you have founding members in the league. They've faced uh, Pittsburgh, Notre Dame, Syracuse, and now Virginia Tech, the three founding members they've faced, Virginia, North Carolina, and Clemson. So no NC State, no Duke, no founding members that they're going up against, and it seems like a missed opportunity, but... You are right. It's a good matchup. It cheers me up to know we got a good game. Yeah, that's going to be a good matchup. And there's like a regional aspect of it too, right? You know, Mid-Atlantic, Virginia Tech, Maryland. They're not next door neighbors, but they're close and they draw from the same areas. I think Florida State, Purdue is really, really, is really, really good. Uh, Purdue has one of the best players in the country, Jaden Ivey, that could have gone to the draft this year. That could be a top, you know, 15, 20 pick in the draft next season. So that's fun. Michigan is going to be awesome, man. Um, they've got a, an incoming freshman forward named Caleb Houston that was recruited by Virginia and by Duke. Um, Michigan's likely to be a top five team heading into next season as well. So that's an interesting like measuring stick game early in the year for uh, Hubert Davis in North Carolina. I also really, really like Michigan State and Louisville. Um, this is a big season for Chris Mack and in the cards. Uh, they loaded up on shooting this offseason. Michigan State, they lose Aaron Henry, but they've got a good roster coming back and a good freshman wing in, in Max Christie. That's another, you know, lottery-type prospect. And I also like Notre Dame, Illinois. I think that's another. Notre Dame is, like, sneaky, returning a lot of offensive firepower. And in Illinois still has one of my favorite players in the country, and Andre Corbello, who's, like, a really, really fun pass-first point guard. So I think all of those – uh, matchups are pretty uh, pretty appealing. I'm going to limit your ability to nerd out at this question before we get to out precise the guys. The Hornets are picking 11th. Give me one player <laughs> that you have researched that you were excited about in terms of being a fit that might be available in that spot for Charlotte. Oh boy, there's probably 11 guys I could name, but yep. I'll spare you that. I'll just say one, and that would be uh, Jaden Springer from Tennessee, who's actually from the city of Charlotte. But freshman wing, one of the, I believe he is the youngest like domestic prospect, college prospect in the draft, but an outstanding on-ball defender who can shoot, projects as a pretty good shooter, has some decent one-on-one creation tendencies, but like is a two-guard that can guard the ball. I think he could help Charlotte next season as they're trying to push for the playoffs. And at the same time, he's a great development piece to stash in around LaMelo, Miles Bridges, and P.J. Washington. He really fits the upward arc of this franchise. So Jaden Springer is one of my favorite guys, unless Moses Moody or Scotty Barnes fall to 11. Robert Walsh, I'm going to pass the wheel to you. 
It's time for out, out precise the guys. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out-precise the guys. Even in introducing the segment, I'm leaking confidence, terrified at getting waxed again. But if you're used to getting waxed, and that's the expectation going in. Why feel nervous at all? That's good. And you really didn't even have to pay attention to less last week of NBA play because I want to step away from the conference finals for a second, give you a little break on that, and maybe talk about uh, U.S. Olympic t- basketball team history. Uh, and we're going to start in 2012. Patty Mills had the most successful singular stats against the United States that year. How many points did old Patty Mills score against the U.S. for the Australian team? Oh, boy. Oh, man. Talk about a shot in the dark. Uh, <laughs> right? I wanted the, to mix it up a little bit. Uh, the uh, the boomers here, the, the Australian boomers is what we're talking about. Um, Patty Mills had a nice little career in the NBA, hasn't he? Uh, made a bunch of money, too. I will say... I don't remember what Mills did in this game. I remember Kobe hit a bunch of threes that that like really carried the USA in a blowout. But I'll say twenty points for for Patty Mills. I've got twenty seven written down. Patty Mills comes in with twenty six. He also led yeah! the Olympics uh, per points per game. He only played in six games, but he averaged twenty two points. Right, act like you've been there, Josh. I have twenty two. <laughs> you've, you've got a point before. Well, that's right. I have one. It's I've gotten good. a point before. <laughs> Uh, not a number two. One name on the Olympic roster that might have casual NBA fans going, huh, who the hell is that, is Jeremy Grant. Uh, but they shouldn't. Uh, he took his game to a new level in Detroit and in one game scored a career-high 43 points against the Bulls this year. Uh, what is the difference between his points in 2021 and his career average? So I'm asking, what's the difference in what he yeah. averaged this year compared to his career average? Is it more or less? 21 is obviously more. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Is this uh, Jer- is this Jeremy Grant from Notre Dame or Jeremy Grant no, from Syracuse? That's that's Jerry and Grant, who's not nearly as good as Jeremy yeah. Grant. So this is the Syracuse uh, one that I get confused with the Notre Dame one all the time. Two ACC legends. So I yes. saw both. I saw both cover both these guys playing in in Greensboro many moons ago. Yeah, both played uh, Maryland in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, probably. Jeremy Grant, nah, not Jeremy Grant. Yeah, um, that's right. Yeah, but uh, Jeremy Grant was also on that Syracuse team that lost to TJ Warren in NC State in the ACC tournament in 2014, where they missed like seven shots on the last possession uh, that could have either won the game or sent it to overtime. But I will say plus 11 points for, for Jeremy Grant. Shouts to him for having a, a nice season and, and making the Olympic roster. I got plus six. Uh, in 2021, he averaged 22.3 ga- points a game. In his career, he only averaged 10.7. That is a difference of 11 points. Oh, my God. Wow. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> He's back. Back on the board. <laughs> Let's go. I woke the giant. Yeah. I've woken him. I really like this UA- USA roster, by the way, man. They're versatile. They got, like, lots of bucket getters and defenders. This is a good team. Uh, I'm excited to watch them play this yeah. summer. I hope you don't have any bad Kevin Love takes. You know, <laughs> oh, we, God, we've seen, no. We've seen enough of those. Uh, yeah, I'll spare you guys those. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, one yeah. more. This is for the game. I have a shot. A team Meanwhile, that Kevin this- Love was on 
the uh, 2012 team, uh, how many points – they scored the most points in Olympic basketball history. How many points is that? What is the most points scored in the Olympics by a team? It was in 2012 against Nigeria. How many points? This game was absolutely insane. And <laughs> uh, so are these both teams combined what they scored or just what no, the U.S. Just scored? The, just the U.S. Uh, they set the this record. Dude, Carmelo made like uh, 15 threes alone in this game. Uh, I'm going to say 150 points for Team USA. I remember watching this game. I've got 151 written down. I swear I have it written down right here. Oh, my God. Get out of here, I have man. It, dude, I have it written down on this piece of paper. It's right here. It looked like you just gave me 123, though. No, With I did your one. Fingers. I have it I'll take what's down. on your paper. That's fine. 151. Uh, against Nigeria, Carmelo had 37. Westbrook had 21. <laughs> they scored 78 and a half. 156 against Nigeria. Oh, God. Ah! We did it. Anything is possible. Yeah. Meanwhile, this France-Switzerland game just ended in penalty kicks. Like the first 12 kicks were successful, and then France got stopped. I think it was Mbappe, too. I'll have to double-check who it was. But uh, the, the, the they were the overwhelming favorites coming into the tournament. They're out in the round of 16. Switzerland scored in the 90th minute to tie it up. It is so you to interrupt a game that you just won to talk about a completely different sport that's not even going on right now. <laughs> oh, it is going on right now, I though. mean, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this Olympics. Oh, I know. Game. It's on the screen, and I guess Olympics, Euros, it's, you know, it's, it's international play. It's related. BG, you a fan of the soccer? I am. I'm watching it. It's on the, the TV next to my screen right now. Um, I was sort of hoping France would win, actually. Uh, but great theater in this matchup, for sure. Great theater in our matchup, too. And, you know, I'm going to yeah. be on vacation next week, so I went into vacation with the dub. Happy well, you, about that. Yeah, congratulations. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, uh, BG. Thanks for doing this. There he goes. Brian Geisiger on Twitter at bgeis underscore bird. A regular little chatterbox. Already talking a mile a minute. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. We'll get back into the NC State baseball fiasco from over the weekend when the award-winning columnist Luke DeCock joins us in 15. Tom Brady, though has been one of the biggest sports stars in America for nearly two decades. Won the Super Bowl, 2001 season, 2002 year. So yeah, close to 20 years. And this weekend on HBO's The Shop, I think was the most freely I've ever seen him speak. It's maybe the only instance Tom has given us a pure, undistilled look at who he is as a person, how he thinks, how he views things. And I thought it was fascinating. He revealed the fangs that he has. We all have them. Competitors more so, I think, especially the greats. We saw that with the Last Dance documentary on full display with Michael. But I remember there being, Robert, a recoiling, a, you know, a brushing back when Michael spoke at his Hall of Fame ceremony in 2009, 
and started going at Byron Russell. Started going at a player that made his high school basketball team at Laney that he didn't make it, and he invited that player to the ceremony. Going after, you, you fill in the blank. He aired out all the grievances he had as a player in such a public way. He showed his fangs at Jerry Krause, at others. Tom Brady did that to a degree, cursing and firing back at a team that apparently expressed interest in him, but then at the last moment decided the pass. This is how that sounded. There was a story in free agency. One of the teams, they were interested, and all of a sudden they weren't interested at the very end. I was sitting there thinking, you're sticking with that motherfucker? Are you serious? Tom probably had no desire to go to that team, but now it's like, why don't you want me? Absolutely. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, when sure. I look back, I'm like, I just don't way would have went to that team. <laughs> but they said they didn't want me, and I know what that means. I know what that feels like, and I'm going to f*** you up because of that. Have we ever heard Tom this way in public? Is there something I'm forgetting? Uh, maybe when he got off that parade float. <laughs> he did talk about that in the HBO thing, too. He said that all the other parades he had been to, it's February in Massachusetts, and it's really freaking cold. This time, though, it's warm. He's on a boat. He's in shorts. So maybe he got a little bit more loose than he planned to. I still believe he's talking about Tennessee, but the most popular belief on the internet that I've seen, and I think other media have talked about, it's the theory that intern Cole had last week that the Chicago Bears. That's clearly who Tom's talking about. I still think it's Tennessee. Maybe we'll never find out, but that clip, still very interesting to hear. Tom talked that type of way. And then Tom explained how his brain worked, how he handles things in the media, how he handles himself publicly. This is probably the most fascinating thing that Tom had to say, and I'd go as far to say the most fascinating thing that Tom Brady has ever said in a public forum. This is, again, from HBO's The Shop. What I say versus what I think are two totally different things. <laughs> I would say 90% of what I say is probably not what I'm thinking, which wow. is challenging, you know, and I I'd, I'd really admire people that actually can do that and say what they think because they invite a lot of other things into their life, and I think it's part of me that doesn't like conflict. So in the end, I just always try to play it super flat. Of course. From a strategic standpoint, I never want to give away, like, what we're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I usually say the opposite. You know, they got a shit corner. I'll be like, that guy's unbelievable. <laughs> I don't even know how they complete balls over there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to like that motherfucker all day. <laughs> you know? Come to think of it, I think Tom was glowing talking about Dante Jackson last year. <laughs> Before Mike Evans torched him one-on-one. -on -one. It's so great. 90% of what I think. I don't say 90% of what I think. Doesn't that make so much sense? You're getting asked questions by the media, by, you know, in this circumstances, in this circumstance, some of your contemporaries in other sports. And... He's the greatest quarterback of all time, and his best trait is processing info. Tony Romo so great on these broadcasts, and what he points out, Tom Brady, nobody in NFL history 
has ever been as good at processing what's happening pre-snap during the play and knowing where to get the ball to. So, of course, Tom's the guy that's in just in hyperspeed going to be able to process information and give you an answer that is very distilled, very flat, as he put it there, because he doesn't see any advantage to being interesting like Draymond Green and saying things that could be incendiary, even if they're honest things. He sidestepped, for example, earlier in the conversation, a question about him being the GOAT. Why? I think maybe it's out of reflex that that's the way he's always done it. But this is what's interesting to me, Robert. We're seeing Tom Brady open up in a way that he has not opened up before. It's not just this HBO The Shop episode. A few days before that, he was singing on a cart with James Corden in carpool karaoke. He's singing Hamilton songs. He, he's doing more interviews. He's going on late night TV shows. It seems that this is a recent development that Tom has discovered the freedoms that come with his platform. Not the platform of being an NFL quarterback because very few actually have the freedom to speak with without fear of significant repercussions. And I don't even think Tom has it completely. And he's even talked about it. But he does, he has been given freedoms that I don't think he had before. Or maybe freedoms that he didn't know he possessed before. He never did things like this at New England. He was never encouraged. You're just one of 53. That's the way the Belichick always puts it. Do your job. Every player is the same and has their role. In Tampa, it's Bruce Arians. It's him drinking cocktails. It's telling Tom, hey, man, you're you're Tom bleeping Brady. You're Tom Brady. Hey, look at some of these wide receiver prospects. Let us know what you think. We might draft one of them. It's different. And Tom's showing you that in a public way. What did you find interesting from what Tom said there? I don't know that it was so much interesting as just like refreshing to seeing him being himself. Oh, absolutely. Because you can't tell me that these quarterbacks, all of them, are just naturally uninteresting. Russell Wilson, we know he's interesting. and There are interesting things that happened in his life, but he chooses not to share them. And Draymond even says, "You, there are things I say. I'm asked to be honest. I'm encouraged to be honest. And when I'm honest, I get fined. So it's a double standard. Why why do the why is it that the media wants us to be honest with them and then when we're honest, they want to fine us? That makes them not want to speak and they see no advantage to speaking. Good stuff from Tom Brady. We've got ACC Big 10 Challenge matchups that were announced today. Another missed opportunity with Maryland. So we've been pushing for this for about a month now. Coach K's final ride, send him to College Park. That's what we want. Duke was at home last year. Send him to College Park. Please do it. Make it happen. It's something I even want to ask Luke DeCock when he joins us in a bit. Maryland is facing Virginia Tech. Looking at some of the other teams in state. Duke, instead of going to College Park, instead of going to Michigan State and matching up with Tom Izzo one last time, they're going to Ohio State, which, again, Ohio State's good. They're a good team, great fan base in Columbus, but it still feels like a massive missed opportunity. Wake Forest, 
finally getting a home game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. They haven't had one of those since 2017. They were left out two of the last three years. Two years ago, they were sent to Penn State. So four years coming. Here we go. Wake Forest facing Northwestern. So Chris Collins' program going to be visiting Winston-Salem. Already texted Wilbon about it. Yes, that's a weird flex. I'm sorry. Seeing if he's going to show up to the game. And he said, oh, yeah, I'd come to that for sure. So bring all the big J media. Rachel Nichols, I'm looking at you. J.A. Adonde, make it happen. Get them all down here. Northwestern grads, get green, get greeny down here when Northwestern faces the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. North Carolina probably got the best matchup of anybody. You've got Michigan, which was in the Elite Eight last year, going to North Carolina. It's a matchup of two coaches that, when they took the opportunity they did, had no head coaching experience, but a lot of built-in goodwill with them being alums. Jawan Howard, very emotional at his press conference, has done a great job at Michigan when he first took the job, at his, And Hubert Davis taking over for Coach Williams in Chapel Hill. Who am I leaving out? NC State. Forgettable matchup. The good news is you're at home. That's good. You get to be at PNC Arena. But the bad news is you're playing Nebraska. Ah, good and bad news. Nebraska, not any good. Or at least wasn't last year. Should be a win. You're at home. Good news for the pack, which needs a lot of good news, frankly, right now. Because speaking of them, where does this weekend rank on the Wolfpack heartbreak scale? Luke DeCock has covered the pack for nearly two decades and will give us his take next on The Drive. A man is a lunatic. Smells like a gym bag. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. The award-winning columnist from the Raleigh News and Observer is Luke DeCock, kind enough to join us now. And the reason I wanted to have you on, Luke, you've been around close to two decades of NC State heartbreak, a number of big stories you could probably point to over the last couple of decades. What we saw in Omaha this weekend, where does it rank on the scale of NC State heartbreak you've seen? I- you know, that, that's a very broad spectrum, but I don't think you've ever had a team that was this close to a national championship, uh, you know, sort of derailed like this. Uh, you know, it's almost as if, you know, the entire NC State 83 team had gotten the flu uh, on its way to Albuquerque. There's just, there's really, uh, you know, you, you, you throw in the, the weight uh, for NC State baseball to get back to the College World Series, you know, uh, eight years ago and then getting back now. And, and all of the sort of pent-up frustration with, with baseball being so close to making it to Omaha so many times. And then for, for this to happen, really one, you know, three wins from a national title. Uh, it, 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 it's incomparable in some ways. And now, it isn't football and it isn't basketball, right? So it's not quite at that same level, although State is obviously a school with a ton of baseball tradition. It's, it's not quite the same, but to be three wins from a national title, to be in Omaha and have this happen, it's certainly uh, a new branch on that tree and a very large and, and frustrating one. In sports, fans always look for a scapegoat. Some are making it the NCAA because they're an easy punching bag. They make themselves an easy punching bag. But when Boo Corrigan goes on TV this morning saying, there's nothing that really could have been done, 
it feels hollow to do so. And then there's the there's many out there who have chosen to shame unvaccinated players from NC State, but half of the positive State had were vaccinated players. So I don't know if there's any path there. Did anybody do well, John, wrong by... Yeah, you know, no, let's, let's go back to what you just said, because I think what you said is incorrect. First of all, no one's shaming unvaccinated players. Players who choose not to get vaccinated know that there are consequences to that choice. And one of Absolutely. the consequences is a more robust testing protocol. Uh, not to mention the fact you could catch COVID and bring it into your team, which is apparently what happened. Uh, the, the vaccinated players would never even have been tested. Um, it, it, were it not for the, 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 the unvaccinated players testing positive. So the, the, the fact of the matter is, if NC State's entire team were vaccinated, this wouldn't have happened. Now, there's some nuance to that there, because there are some players on the team who had COVID, but in black and white, teams that are fully vaccinated, this can't happen to them, which is why I guarantee you Nick Saban will not be putting a football team on the field that has any unvaccinated players. There's a competitive advantage to being vaccinated. NC State's players chose to forego that competitive advantage. So let's not gloss that over. Sure. And let's not call it shaming. That, that is not the appropriate way to say it. That is a choice they made. It had consequences. It came back to bite them. I don't think there's any blame to go around here. People made choices. Those choices had consequences. You face the consequences of your actions, and that's what's happened here. Now, has the NCA handled this abysmally? with little care or sympathy? Absolutely. The NCAA has done as poorly by NC State in the handling of this as it did Virginia Commonwealth in the basketball tournament when it basically told the, 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 the uh, Rams to get the heck out of Indianapolis. And, and the NCAA, if it had been open and transparent about this process, this would have all made more sense because the reality is if you understand NCA protocols and you hear the information that's out there now, this, as Boo Corrigan said, is all in those medical protocols. They followed the guidance that everyone bought into going into this. So, you know, this is just one of those things. If you, there, are, there are certain choices you make in life. Those choices have consequences. That's very well said. Luke DeCock with us, Raleigh News and Observer uh, columnist here. I am interested with that in mind, though, what you make about what seems to be a non-small portion of NFL players not wanting to take the vaccine, and unlike college sports, you're looking at a sport that has a union. Do you think COVID testing protocols for this fall could be a labor fight in football? No, because the NFLPA signed off on all of the protocols. The, the union and the NFL are on the same page on this. The union wants its players to get vaccinated. The union wants its players to follow that. The, there's, a, there's a carrot and a stick out there for NFL players. And they can, you know, you, you can have either one. The reality is players who are vaccinated are going to have freedoms that players who are unvaccinated don't. Again, that's a choice that they have to make. Another thing that's happened today, the ACC Big Ten Challenge matchups were announced, and I was most interested to see what was going to happen with Duke. It's Coach K's last go-round. I kind of tongue-in-cheek the last month I've been saying, wouldn't it be a lot of fun if they just sent them to College Park? See what would happen. No, it wouldn't happen, but... And it turns out it didn't. Maryland's going to be playing Virginia Tech this year. They're sending Duke to Columbus. Missed opportunity here, Luke? I don't. I think Duke would have withdrawn from the ACC Big Ten Challenge <laughs> if they'd ever had to play Maryland. Now, here's the question I would ask you, Josh. Okay. Will Duke play Maryland in the ACC Big Ten Challenge next year? 100%. 100%. I think, I think I think there's a better than average chance of that, yes. <laughs> uh 
Follow him on Twitter at Luke DeCock. Read his stuff, newsobserver.com. It's good to hear from you. I hope we can catch up again sometime soon, Luke. You got it, Josh. We'll talk soon. There he goes. Luke DeCock joining us, newsobserver.com. Find his stuff. Later on tonight, we've got the start of the Stanley Cup final. Robert, I am 100% behind the Canadians. I didn't think that would happen because when given the opportunity to be patriotic and root for the American team versus the Canadian team, often I'm going to choose the Americans. But in this circumstance, I don't think I can do it. Montreal might be the best feel-good story going on in sports today. They are an underdog story that we rarely ever see in pro sports. This is something that seems like it's straight out of a college NCAA tournament story. March Madness. Take a guess, Robert. There are 30 NHL franchises. I think Seattle's going to be 31. Now they might be 32 with Vegas being added a couple years ago. So I think there's 31 currently. Montreal. Where do you think their record ranked in the National Hockey League this season? Let's go with 15th. 18th. They had the 18th best record in the regular season. But the way that the format worked, you had to finish top four in your division to qualify for the postseason. And then it was 4v1 in your division, 2v3. It wasn't a great Canadian division, but Montreal finished fourth. They had less points, for example, than the Nashville Predators did, who Carolina faced in the first round. And they advanced through. They beat Toronto in seven after rallying back from 3-1 down in a series and took care of business in round two as well. In the semifinal, I didn't think they'd be able to beat the Islanders, but that's exactly what they did. And they're going up against a gargantuan favorite in Tampa Bay. The defending champs might be skirting the rules a little bit, having a player, an MVP nonetheless, who doesn't count against the cap because he didn't play much of the year and then showed up late in Nikita Kucherov. I'm not going to root for the favorites, especially when that favorite knocked out the Hurricanes and they're the defending champs. I'm not going to do it. The Canadian history element of this, I think, adds to it. First Stanley Cup appearance for Montreal in 28 years. And if you've never been to Canada, Montreal and Toronto, those two teams are like the Lakers, the Yankees, the Dallas Cowboys. That's what they are. Probably the best comparison is the Cowboys because football is king in America the way that hockey is king up north. So if you're trying to imagine what this might be like, Montreal being in the Stanley Cup with some sort of Cinderella run nonetheless to get here. It's just like if the Dallas Cowboys went to the Super Bowl this year. Dallas not being to the Super Bowl, not not appearing in the Super Bowl since the mid-90s. Montreal hasn't won the Stanley Cup since 93. That's the last time they've been there. And it's also the last time a Canadian team won because the last five Canadian teams that have appeared in the Cup Final have lost. Vancouver twice, Edmonton once, to the Carolina Hurricane. 
Calgary and also the Ottawa Senators have all been to the cup final in the last 28 years, unable to win. So this is an opportunity for Canadian history. It's one of the premier franchises. And also, from a local perspective, local-ish, one of the greatest Carolina Hurricanes ever. The second all-time leading goal scorer in franchise history, Eric Stahl, this seems to be his last shot at getting a cup. His productivity's down, he's older, he's not quite the same player, even though his hair still looks immaculate. 36 years old, he's part of Montreal, this is a chance for him to win the cup, so we are rooting that on. Also, Joel Edmondson, a former Kane, trying to win the Stanley Cup as well. He's on, he, he's trying to win the cup as well for, uh, I believe he's a Montreal Canadian. Read that, he's a part of this cup final. Don't know specifically where who he plays for. Montreal, feel-good story of this cup final. Can't help but root for them. Up next, why Chris Paul isn't the only Forsyth County resident with some good luck this summer. Keep it here on The Drive. What's up? What's up? What none of you wants to admit is that the kid is good. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. How many movies is too many movies to watch in just one weekend, Robert? I don't think there's an answer for that. I mean, it's your weekend. If you wanted to watch like 100 movies, if it was possible, then it's possible. I watched six movies this weekend. Six. Granted, a couple were just on in the background. A few more I was watching closely and intently. A few I hadn't seen before. Six movies I watched this weekend. Is that too many movies? 336-777-1600 being the phone number. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to turn those movies into content. And also the ACC Big Ten Challenge matchups were announced today. So I'm going to attach a letter grade to one of the movies that I saw this weekend and also attach a letter grade to an ACC Big Ten Challenge matchup that was just announced as well in this week's Grams Grades. Every week is a test for your favorite sports teams. We don't need no who passed the test? If one of y'all says some silly ass name. Who dropped the ball? I don't know. Josh Graham has the answers. I think you're very condescending and a know-it-all. Hey! Teacher, leave kids alone. Time for Graham's Grades. Let's start with the very good first. The grades that intern Cole gets regularly and Robert Walsh did not at East Carolina. We're talking about... A. A's. Michigan at North Carolina. That is an A-plus ACC Big Ten Challenge game. Two guys coaching their alma mater. Hubert in year one in Chapel Hill. Jawan, I think, represents the best-case scenario for taking over one of the best coaches in basketball. That's what Jawan did, taking over for John Beeline, and that's what Tar Heel fans are hoping they're going to get from Hubert succeeding Roy. As for the movie, Dazed and Confused is an A. Robert, have you watched this movie recently? 
this would strike me as a movie that you really love because we've talked about, I think, a while ago, high school movies, who does it best. And I think if you're trying to best capture youth and ambition and promise and rebellion, all, you know, all condensed into one product, I think Richard Linklater's Days to Confuse probably as good as any. Sure. A little dated. I think I put up super bad for that movie. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think I've seen it in the last six months. I mean, it's a good flick. Fun probably does defend, depend on the decade in terms of mo- emotional attachment. The 70s, you have Grease. The 80s, you have uh, The Breakfast Club. And you have Fast Times at Ridgemont High. The 90s, you have House Party. And you have this movie. The 2000s, it's Mean Girls. It's super bad. And then in the last decade, it's probably Lady Bird and Booksmart. So these types of movies, it never gets old. But Matthew McConaughey, man, it's still one of the best movie facts out there that day one on set, the first line he ever spoke on camera, this was his first movie, was all right, all right, all right. First three words he ever said on a movie set, and those are still probably the three words that follow him the most. B. Wake Forest versus Northwestern. At last, Wake gets a home game in this event. Wake was struggling just to get into the event in recent years. Two of the last three seasons, the one team left out. This year, that team is Boston College. They get a home game. First time it's happened in four years, and it's going to be Northwestern. I already see Habistro, a Wake grad, going up against Daryl Morey, who's from Northwestern, and Rachel Nichols and J.A. Adande. Michael Wilbon says he's going to try and get there. So a lot of journalism types went to Northwestern. couple private schools going head-to-head, Northwestern versus Wake. I like the matchup, and I love it even more that the Deeks are involved, and are at home for a game. Oh, oh, a movie. A movie? In the Heights. Watch that in theaters. Didn't realize that it was available on HBO Max, but I watched it in theaters, and I'm glad I did. First time I was in a movie theater in 16 months. The music, it's from Lin-Manuel Miranda, and the same director that did Crazy Rich Asians. So much color, so much fun. Terrific music, optimistic. Most of the movies I go to are Oscar-nominated movies in the movie theater. And they're usually bummers you're talking about. Like Joker a couple years ago, which I happen to like a lot. Manchester by the Sea. A lot of movies turn out to be bummers. This one was not. It was fun. I strongly suggest it. If you have children, this would be a great movie to watch with them. I think it's PG-13. But being back in the movie theater and having a big gulp and having some candy and a dark place. I went to Aperture in downtown Winston. It was great. And I really loved the movie. It's a good one. C. Duke at Ohio State. I'm conflicted about this. From a basketball standpoint, it's a good matchup. Ohio State was a two seed in the tournament last year. Duke's going to be really good. It's in Columbus, so there are great hands. I'm glad Duke's going on the road the last time for Coach K in this tournament or in this showcase. But it's still a missed opportunity. You could have sent him 
to Michigan State at worst. At best, you send them to College Park, which I think most of us knew wasn't going to happen. We'll already start the pool right now. Luke was the one that started it last hour. Percentage chance that next year, John Shire's first ACC Big Ten Challenge game going to be against the Terps. I'd probably say there's a really good chance of that. As for the movie, Scarface. Sarah Bradford had not seen it before. After the movie ended, she's like, they never called the guy Scarface one time. And I had to tell her, oh, he has a scar on his face. Well, I didn't notice the scar on his face. Okay. There are elements of this movie that do not age well, as you would expect. Al Pacino's, Tony Montana's relationship with his sister, Gina. Uh, The way that Tony Montana treats women in general probably falls into that category. But uh, still a lot of things that are a lot of fun. The score's tremendous. The action scenes are still things you look forward to. Oh, snap, we're about to get to this scene. We're about to get to the scene where he's confronting uh, fill in the blank, right? Scarface, I'm still a fan of it. It's a C for me, though. D. I didn't know if you had anything on that, Robert. Uh, Scarface? No, I mean, I dig it. I think it's a fun movie. Eh, yep, just a C. Nebraska at NC State's a D. It's a home game. That's why it's not an F. It's a game you should probably win, but there's no sizzle to having Nebraska go to NC State. When you think of Big Ten teams, you don't really think about Nebraska. You're probably going to push back on the movie. Semi-pro's a D. I didn't like it when I first saw it in theaters. And then I maybe watched it again when it was first on the cable circuit. But I had friends in the last four or five years tell me, you're wrong about this, Josh. Similar to the way you told me I was wrong about Bo Burnham. Uh, and I had to rewatch that, and I was wrong. It was being wrong there that made me realize I might be wrong about Semi-Pro. So I give it another watch, and yep, still not a big fan of it. Semi-Pro is just a D for me. F. Virginia Tech at Maryland. It is absurd that Maryland, after this year, will have played... More non-founding members of the ACC in this challenge than founding members of the league. It's a missed opportunity. That's what it is. Maryland not facing NC State, for example. Still not facing Wake Forest. And I could go down the list. Here are the founding members that they faced. Clemson, North Carolina, Virginia. Virginia Tech is a newish member in the league, not really a basketball power by any means. Maryland's going to face the Hokies, and they've already faced Notre Dame, Syracuse, and Pittsburgh in this this bracket challenge or in this showcase they have each year. I wish it would have been Duke, but if it wasn't Duke, why not send NC State to Maryland? Or why not send Wake Forest? I don't know. Figure out something... Have them play a founding member. That would be a lot more fun. And the movie that's an F, The Terminal. This is what I think started the run of Tom Hanks putting out just underwhelming movies 
for the last 15, 17 years. It's a movie that I heard was really good, and then I watched it, and so many things about it just didn't make sense to me. The accent wasn't so great from Hanks, and it started this run where Tom Hanks just puts out a bunch of movies that aren't very great, but we all still love Tom Hanks because of what Tom Hanks did from the mid-80s all the way through the early 2000s. It's an unbelievable run. He's an unbelievable actor, but when people say he's the best actor going or one of the best, meh. Like, it's a hot take that I have, and I felt this way for a while, but Tom Hanks, overrated. Last 17 years haven't been very good. And there have been a lot of movies. He's had a lot of opportunities. Like, a lot of opportunities, movies that he's put out there. But a lot of them have been underwhelming, starting with The Terminal.